Elliot, before we get to the rest of the podcast, which we recorded late last night after the Florida Panthers made it a series, Emil Delich, our lovely producer, is about to hit publish on the latest pod, and then you wrecked his day. Here's the very latest. Here is the freshest. A sign and trade. The New Jersey Devils signed Damon Severson to an eight-year, 6.25 AAV contract and immediately trade him to the Columbus Blue Jackets in exchange for a third-round draft pick. Columbus is shoring up their D, Elliot. Yes, they are. And I'm always happy when I can ruin almost day. But <laughs> Columbus made it very clear that this is what they were going to do. Provorov trade earlier this week. And, you know, we'd heard that they'd been talking about the possibility of Severson. And in a rare moment, something that's said on this podcast actually comes true. Hmm. So Severson, the Devils get the pick. Uh, they weren't going to be able to match that for Severson. You know, Columbus was aggressive. I, I think initially Severson was thinking about maybe Western Canada, something like that. But, you know, Columbus wouldn't take no for an answer. They were taking this date to the prom. An analogy I've been using way too much lately, but it is June, so it is prom time. That's between you and your therapist, Elliot. Don't don't work <laughs> your personal things out here on the podcast. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, the Blue Jackets, uh, I heard they had some Zoom calls with them, yeah. and they just were not giving up on this. They targeted the player, and they were not taking no for an answer. Okay, so a couple of things here. I want to get to the New Jersey part of this, but first, uh, here's the question about the Columbus Blue Jackets. We know they want to take the next step. We know that all eyes are on Yarmo Kikalane and the general manager now. They're not done, are they? I'd like to hear a bit more from Kekalainen. Uh There's a few more things I'd like to talk about he- with him. I still think they're going to look into a center. I mean, you and me and half the league out here has been expecting like a, a Kevin Hayes deal with Columbus and see that will work out. I'm I'm trying to determine if the hiring of, of Babcock has changed that plan at all. Maybe Hayes feels differently or maybe the Blue Jackets and Babcock feel differently. You know, we'll see how that plays out. But I do think they are looking for a center. But Jeff, those conversations quickly, those conversations go back to the trade deadline and probably before the trade deadline as well. The Kevin Hayes, Columbus, just so we're on the same page. Yes, uh, I that is definitely true. The other thing here is this defense it's very much something that Babcock would like, a deep, heavier defense. You know, if you look at it right now, your top four is Wierenski, Provorov, Severson. I'm curious if Yurisek, you know, how quickly he gets mm. into the top four here. They've also got Goodbranson. They've also got Polkvist. They've also got Peak. They've also got Bean. They've also got Blankenberg, who I really like. Yes. So they have a lot of defensemen. And that's the kind of thing that Babcock would really like on his blue line is multiple options, some heavier players, a tough group to get through. I could see him being very happy with what Kekalainen is putting in front of him. Now, for the New Jersey Devils, one would have to assume what this satisfies is an open roster spot for a young defenseman to jump in. And secondly, freeing up cap space for either a Timo Meyer or a Jesper Bratt contract. Or both. You're talking about Nemich, right? And Nemich would be the obvious one, yes. As you just mentioned, David Juracek, we imagine he'd join the NHL next season. I'm guessing Nemich as well. 
Yes, Nemec is probably ready for this. Uh, you know, you're also wondering about Ryan Graves. You know, he's another UFA to be that we'll see if they can sign. He played a very nice role for them. But there's there's no question that uh, Meyer and Brat are atop the list. The Brat Devils negotiations, I've just heard they've been a grind. Uh, the Devils, I think, want to get this done. I think Brat's reps are kind of slow playing it a little bit. So the Meyer situation, you know, someone just told me based on what they'd heard about Meyer is it would be a hard one to do because it's a big number and he has another year so he can wait if he really wants to. He can be qualified at 10. He can go to cut rate arbitration at eight and a half. So I don't want Devils fans to be like uh, doing any self-harm after listening to this. I don't think it means that it's impossible. I just think that it's a grind and the Devils are trying their best to get through it. Oh, and Jeff, one other thing. There have been lots of rumors about Columbus maybe dealing the third overall pick for immediate help. I think they're kind of media or public created. Now, as we speak, that's not what I'm hearing. I'm hearing the third overall pick is not available and Columbus will take it. Look, things can always change. I hesitate to write down anything as the gospel, but that's what I'm hearing today on Friday, June 9th. And that's the same thing I would do. Get the pick, whether it's Carlson or Fantilli, have that kid for a billion years and get yourself a big center in the draft. That's what I would do, and that's what it sounds like Columbus is planning to do. That is the very latest. That is the very freshest. Amel hit publish. And with that, we return you to your regularly scheduled podcast. Couple of overtime wins against Dallas, and here comes Bennett. Nice move with the line. In the middle for Hagee. Scores! Carter for Hagee. And the Panthers have won their first ever Stanley Cup final game. Elliot, the cats are alive. Elliot, the rats are alive. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC Canyon AT4X. Friedman, Merrick, and Delich with you one more time. We had a lot of news to get to. We're going to bracket that for a second because you're on your way back from the rink, uh, heading to the hotel after game three, another thrilling overtime victory by the Florida Panthers who are 7-0 and in overtime. And once again, playing the role of Justin Williams, Carter Verhage with the over... I know I'll drop the 2012 Kings thing eventually, <laughs> Elliot. Carter Verhage, the hero. A nice screen by Matthew Kachuk, I should mention, on that goal as well. Uh, the Panthers win, and we have a series. A great finish. I think I would be lying to the audience if I called it a great full game, Yeah, but a great finish. And uh, the legend of Matthew Kachuk rose. Uh, <laughs> he got hit cleanly by Kolasar. I don't think anyone has any argument with the quality of the hit. And I thought he was out. Like when I saw him stumble. Oh, yeah. I thought that was, you know, what's called like a fencing motion is what they call it. And that is an obvious sign of a concussion. After the game, in his media availability, Paul Maurice said that the concussion spotter pulled Kachuk. Was it league protocol that took Matthew away for a while? Or it was okay so concussion protocol correct and when that is going on what's your how informed are you when you're in the middle of the action you're not informed at all it's a complete shutdown right the room gets goes into a quiet room there's no checking when you're coming out 
So you are completely, completely in the dark on those. You don't know when the player's coming back. There's not a, an update. And I understood that because of, you know, the way that he looked after he first got hit. But I also think there's an arm injury there. Just the way Kachak was on the bench, the trainer fiddling around with his shoulder, I think it's possible both things can be true. And the other thing, too, is I was going to meet some people in the crowd. So I, I was walking amongst the crowd when he came out for his first shift of the second period, and it was a big ovation. Those of us who are from Canada were kind of like the hockey snobs, and we poke fun at the fans of Florida. I wish you could have seen the fans of Florida in that moment because Kachuk comes out for his first shift of the second period, and there's an ovation in the building. Yeah, And I think if everybody had seen that, they would have tipped their caps in respect to the crowd that was there. And, you know, of course, Kachuk scores the tying goal. And, and save made by Hill. The turnaround follow-up from Bennett blocked Ekblad near point. Hooks across. Big driver, Hagee. The rebound, they score! It's Matthew Kachuk on the doorstep. And this game is tied at two with 2.13 to play in regulation time. He plays a role in the winner to the point where he actually thought for a couple of seconds it hit him. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was a great finish. And you know what, Jeff? I want a good series. Like, as a hockey fan, I want a good series. And now, at least we have a series. And uh, that's what we want entirely. We have a series, and we had a much different game. We had a much different game stylistically. And there's one stat that kind of tells a story here. Mm-hmm. Hits. Game one, Florida Panthers, 36 hits, Vegas 29. Game two, Florida Panthers, 44 hits, Vegas 24. Game three, Mm -hmm. Florida Panthers, 14 hits. That's it. Mm -hmm. Vegas Golden Knights, 18 hits. You know, Paul Maurice Thursday morning. 32 hits. It seemed like there were more than that. Some of those were really punishing. 18 hits for the Golden Knights, 14 hits for the Florida Panthers. Mm -hmm. Paul Maurice talked about not wasting physicality because it has uh, a toll. This was a stylistically a much different game, mainly, I think, Elliot, because Florida didn't run around looking for it early, often, or otherwise. No, they didn't, but they took a punishment in this game, Jeff. You know, Kachuk, I loved his answer to Kyle. It's the Stanley Cup Finals. Stanley Cup Final. You take the hit uh, early in the first period tonight. Tell us what it uh, took to kind of stay in the game and, and the night. Stanley Cup Final. That's it. All right. Sorry, John Shannon, Stanley Cup final, <laughs> not Stanley Cup finals. Kachuk and Montour. Yeah. Those guys are going to be feeling it on the off day. You could tell they were really battling to play. So, again, maybe not a lot of hits, yeah. but a punishing game. If I'm Vegas, I still feel good about where I am. They controlled a lot of that game. Sure. And they exacted a physical toll. You know, the Panthers, I looked this up, Jeff, and I will talk about it more on Saturday night, but the Panthers in seven games against 
Boston took 134 penalty minutes, I think. Hmm. They had 40-something against Toronto. They had 30-something against Carolina. They're already almost at 150 through three games of this series. Yeah, They have to get a grip on themselves. Although, I didn't like the penalty at the end of regulation. If you're going to put someone's season on the line, it has to be more blatant than that. has to be. There were a couple that I didn't like. I don't want to nitpick over penalties uh, on the podcast, but there were a couple in that game that really raised the uh, raised the eyebrows for me. One other thing, too, there's a really nice in-series feud developing here. What did you think of uh, Barbashev and Gudis uh, renewing acquaintances as Gudis took a, a healthy run at Barbashev? First of all, I got no problem with tough hockey. You know that. Rough hockey, you know that. You know, what's the rule? You take a number and you deal with it in the regular season. I think Gudis was very lucky he didn't put Florida shorthanded there. I can understand he wants a piece of Barbashev. I can understand he doesn't like him right now. But this is not the time to go for revenge. And I think Gudis was fortunate with that healthy run, as you mentioned, that they ended up even and not with another Vegas power play. I can understand it because there's the break with the extra day in between games two and three, and all Gudis heard was how Ivan Barbashev fed it to him. Get your revenge in the regular season. And truck, listen, I'm not saying it's right, but I do get it. And Gudis looked at that moment and said, I got a chance to get a lick in here on this guy that I've been hearing about for a couple of days. Again, I'm with you. Don't think it's the right move. But I understand it. I understand. You understand it because you are not a team player. <laughs> I don't understand it because I am a team player. Uh, what's the old line? There's no I in team, but there's two I's in invoice. We all live by that one. We all live by that one. Okay, so uh, there there will be a game five. Uh, there will be another game in Vegas. Uh, so if you're an NHL player and you're listening to this. Uh, your escrow will go down a little bit more because there'll be one more game at least. There will be a, a game five here. There will not be a sweep. Uh, we'll watch for that one on Saturday. As part of Game Three's pre-show festivities, David Amber sat down with three of Vegas's original OGs, Riley Smith, Jonathan Marchessault, and William Carlson. Here is a snippet. Who's the most recognizable, the biggest celebrity of you three when you're walking the strip? I'd have to say it's William. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe when I had my long hair, it was more. Uh, yeah, maybe. But he's short, too, so... <laughs> What? Yeah, sometimes sometimes I get called Jonathan March, so, so it's definitely not me. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Jonathan? Uh, I think it's Carly, because of his flawless flow. Any of you three, who would be the biggest fashion guy of you three as far as the in-arena walk-ins? I'd say Marshy. Yeah, that short suit he has is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh, one. It's not well viewed from the management. <laughs> but I mean, I like to wear it. It's a lucky suit that I have. Sometimes on a must-win, I wear it. But I know that they're not really thrilled about it. <laughs> what do they tell you? Well, they're like more the classy-looking suit with a tie kind of thing. And when the guy comes in with like sneakers and a short suit, then it's not necessarily the look they're looking for. But I do it for the boys. It's yeah. 100 degrees outside. Yeah, so. it's a 
you know, it was a little it's understandable. Sometimes guys are pranksters and they cut the legs out of a guy's suit. So they, I've they seen that before. Who's Not to me, you know, but. Who's the biggest prankster of you three? Probably me. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be you. Definitely John. Yeah, but I don't do too much pranks. I just make like somebody jump or something like that. I'm kind of loud. It's a great piece, and if you want to watch more of it, you can see it on Sportsnet's YouTube page. There is also a link in our show notes. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Okay, to some news. And you mentioned this with David Amber on Thursday night during one of the intermissions. Uh, the Calgary Flames coaching hunt and advantage Ryan Huska. Anything can happen here. Nothing is done until it's done. But the indication I got on Thursday night is that Ryan Huska, who was the head coach of the Western Hockey League champion Kelowna Rockets in 2009 and spent the last five seasons as an assistant coach, of the Calgary Flames is the leading contender. Look, I always say this, and I said it on, on the show, nothing is done until it's done, but it is trending in that direction. Other candidates there have included uh, Mitch Love, Travis Green as well, Elliot. Yes, uh, Todd Reardon. You have mentioned Mark Savard. I believe Alex Tangay was interviewed as well. Mm-hmm. I am curious to see... So if you think about this, there are now two individuals off the bench, at least from last year. Daryl Sutter and, well, Huska's moved into a different role. So I'm wondering what they're going to do to bring in with him. We'll see what happens there. We've talked about how Mitch Love has pretty much done everything he needs to accomplish at the AHL level. I I do wonder what happens there. Yes. Uh, The Rangers coaching search. What do you hear? What do you know there? Well, I talked about it on your show on Thursday that at the combine, a lot of people were telling you they were hearing more and more Hines, who I believe met with in person with Drury this week. Like, as I said, I wanted everyone to be careful. The Rangers have me a little bit confused here in the sense that, Jeff, there's something we're not seeing here. If they wanted it to be Laviolette overwhelmingly, it could be done. If they wanted it to be Hines overwhelmingly, it could be done. Hmm. So either there's another candidate here that we are not seeing or there's someone waiting, they're waiting for that we're not seeing. Now, Larry Brooks has been adamant that it's not Joel Quenville. And, and I will concede that he is closer to that situation than I am. So I'm going to take his word in this one. I have wondered if there's any chance that they are waiting to see what happens with Sheldon Keefe. I, like, I wonder if there's any chance they're waiting for clarity on that. And if they are, hmm. if they find it and get it, then they just go with either Heinz or Laviolette. But if not, they're waiting. But I admit, I don't have a great handle on it. And that's just my speculation. Um, and then who knows? I'll, Certainly people at the Combine were thinking Laviolette, okay. but I have wondered if they're waiting on someone like Keith. Right. So you mentioned the Maple Leafs there. So they were um, they were part of some pretty big news on Thursday as well. Shane Doan comes in as a special assistant to the general manager, Brad Treliving. Now, a couple of things here, and I want to get to what this means for Arizona, uh, who lose a franchise icon. But uh, what does this mean for Toronto? What does this mean for Brandon Pridham? 
specifically, if anything? Pittsburgh has made it very clear that they're going to wait until July to do the GM. So I think this will take some time to unfold. The one thing I also think is that I don't think Doan has anything to do with Frito. I think when Brad Tree Living made his pitch to become the GM of the Maple Leafs, he included the idea of Doan potentially joining them. So I'm not surprised about that at all. And mm-hmm. Nick Kiprios deserves the credit. He was the first person who mentioned it. I think he absolutely wanted Doan there because of the whole Arizona connection. The Maple Leafs now have a true Arizona mafia. Toronto has a <laughs> Toronto mafia. They have a Thornhill mafia. They have a Mississauga mafia. They have a Vaughn mafia. And now they've got an Arizona mafia. I think he wanted them here. Yeah. Um, I do think the Matthews and Nice thing played a role in it. And I don't think it affects him at all. Britta, I mean. How, then, does this affect the Arizona Coyotes? Like, when Shane Doan was a player, he had opportunities and offers to go elsewhere mm-hmm. and always chose to stay. Mm-hmm. As he transitioned to a management role, I'm of the belief that he's had conversations and other organizations have at least inquired, if not offered positions to Shane Doan, and he's always turned them down. He's been fiercely loyal to the Coyotes, fiercely loyal to the organization, fiercely loyal to the marketplace, fiercely loyal to helping out the Coyotes in any way that he possibly can. And now he's leaving. What, if anything, should we read into this, Elliot? You'll remember, I wrote a story last year that Doan was leaving the Arizona organization. And even though he tended to be around them a bit this year, Mm -hmm. he wanted more of a role in the hockey. He wasn't as interested in the other stuff. He loves hockey. He wants to be around hockey. He wants to be around the coaching staff. He likes that kind of thing. He's not as interested in the other stuff. The one thing I remember last year is he was very sensitive to the whole thing about his deciding to leave the organization as being a blow to the Coyotes keeping their team. He was very, very sensitive about that. And look, I I think he wants to be around hockey and he's got an opportunity to be around hockey with the Maple Leafs. But if I know him and I do a little bit, he will be very sensitive not to do anything to harm the Coyotes on the way out. I'm sure some Coyotes fans won't like to see it. I'm sure there'll be people talking about this isn't a good day for them. But I think he will bend over backwards not to say anything bad about the organization. And he won't want it being perceived as a painful blow for the organization. It's an interesting situation. Um, and, you know, the the, the Brandon Pridham thing to me is fascinating as well. And I know the Pittsburgh Penguins and, you know, Kyle Dubas mentioned this at his press conference of have kicked this thing into July. I don't know that many people would be surprised if that ends up being the end game here, but that's one of those. We'll see what happens, much like we'll wait and see what happens with Jason Spezza uh, and where he ends up and if that is with Pittsburgh. I think with Pridham, Pittsburgh will reach out 
to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And then, and the Leafs want to keep him. So, you know, we'll see where this goes. Like, he, at some point in time, he may have a decision to make. But I do think the Penguins will wait until July to do it because they know it's not happening right now. Ottawa Senators and Alex DeBrinket, Elliot, you've uh, written about this. We've spoken about this. Is there anything new developing? One of the things that has happened here now is we know there's a list of teams that DeBrinket or his agent Jeff Jackson submitted. I think that list includes Detroit. I think that list includes the two Stanley Cup finalists, Vegas and Florida. And there's been some reporting also about Dallas and Nashville. One of the interesting things about this is there's always this big debate. Do you let the teams talk to players? The player picks his team. And then the team says, okay, now we'll make the deal. Or... Does the team say nobody can talk to DeBrinket? You got to make a deal with us that we like, and then you can talk to DeBrinket. Now, I know some people who say, oh, you, you let the team talk to DeBrinket first because then you know you can make a deal with that team and they'll be inclined to make a deal with them. I can tell you this most clubs feel the opposite. They say you do not want to cede control over the process. You force someone to make a deal that you like, and then you say, okay, now you can talk to them. And I believe that's what Ottawa's doing right now. I believe Ottawa's position is you cannot talk to DeBrinket until you give us a deal we like. And to be honest, if I was running the process, that's the way I'd start it too. Then you kind of hamstring yourself. Now, sometimes the you feel backed into a corner and you're like, okay, let's just make the best deal we can make. I think there's enough competition for Dabrinkit that I would start this way. Now, my guess here, this is purely a guess. Like, I was sitting down today, I was going over some of these teams and I was saying, where's the deal can be made? I'm watching Detroit. I'm not saying that he's going to end up in Detroit, but that's the team I'm watching. Because I think Dabrinkit, who's from there, would love to play there. I see a need. You know, Dabrinkit Larkin, Jeff, I mean, I, I may be an idiot, but that seems pretty sensible to me. He'd walk in making more than Dylan Larkin, though. I don't know about is that. that. A fact, is that a factor? He doesn't have a contract yet for next year. You can say, look, if you're coming here, you're not making any more than Larkin. And then Dabrinkit has a choice to make. You know, maybe he doesn't get $9 million a year. Maybe he gets eight and a half or something or eight seven five, which is what Larkin's getting, and you make the same. Like to go home, is that a problem for Debrinket? I'm guessing probably not. Mm-hmm. Detroit can make this deal. Even if it's more, I don't know, futury or some of the other things Detroit has, it still allows Ottawa to do other things. It creates space for Ottawa to do things. So I'm watching Detroit until I see in, until I'm convinced otherwise. Do you not think, though, that if you're dealing with the Ottawa Senators here, that considering where they are on their win cycle and they've spent a lot of time accruing assets, that they don't have as much of a need or desire for picks and young prospects as much as they do for players? I mean, make no mistake about it. The goal next year is the playoffs for Ottawa, no? Absolutely it is. I look at it this way, though. If you're Dorian, you're looking at this from a couple of different directions. 
He made a big trade this year for Chikrin where he gave up futures. I think you're either making this deal to get pieces or you're making your, this deal to put yourself in position to get pieces. That's the way I look at it. Speaking of deals, Los Angeles Kings, uh, Vladislav Gavrikov was part of a huge three-way trade this past week, and I want to get to Carter Hart in a couple of seconds. Uh, but Gavrikov signs a two-year deal, 5.875 is the AAV, carries a full no-move clause as well. I think a few people were looking at this one and saying, why only two years? So, Elliot, why only two years? He wanted it that way. I want to get Gavrikov on the pod one day. Everything I've heard about this guy this year has been fascinating. He turned down an extension in Columbus. Yes. He was mad about the Boston thing. He was mad about how much he had to sit out. LA tried to extend them. I, I think they were offering, I think I said four or five years at just under $5 million a year. He turned that down. He wanted two years only. I'm pretty sure his agent told him that doesn't make any sense, but he's like, I don't care. I want two years. You know, like this guy, he he's his own man. Like he basically just says, this is the way I'm doing it. And he walked himself into a two-year deal, an excellent AAV, and most of it in signing bonus. I mean, it's a good reminder that sometimes if you stick to what you believe in, you can put yourself in really good situations. Plus, he played pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like everything I've heard about him in the last year, he's a he's a pretty fascinating guy. You can do that when you have options. Right. Like I look at Gavrikov and I say, to your point, Columbus really wanted to sign him. Mm-hmm. You know, there were other teams that around deadline were really interested. And there'll be teams that if he didn't sign would be interested come July 1st. So maybe we shouldn't be so surprised that Gavrikov said, look, this is what I want. And I want to go for another deal. Maybe I want to go for a longer deal when there's more salary cap space. And I can hit another home run. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. I, I know few guys do it, but I totally get it. Now, one of the sidebars to that three-way trade that we saw the other day between Columbus, Los Angeles, and Philadelphia was the future of Carter Hart with the Philadelphia Flyers since Daniel Briere brought in Cal Peterson from Los Angeles. The internet ran wild with where's Carter Hart going? Mm-hmm. Is there a latest on Carter Hart and the Philadelphia Flyers? I was just told, Jeff, it's premature and it's not happening right now. Someone just told me, step off the gas pedal with with Hart. That one's not happening right now. Pump the brakes on the Carter Hart trade talk for now. What about the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade talk? Look, he told them last year he wasn't staying long-term. I guess he wants to go now. I think Winnipeg's biggest challenge here will be creating a market. Like you're going to have to convince people that there's someone, there's somewhere else he'd like to go besides Montreal. And you have a theory on this one. My theory is like yours and like many people, Montreal is number one. So much number one that I'm even shy of saying there's a number two. There's Montreal and then there's a third, fourth, fifth, and sixth (laughs) team that he's interested in. There's not even a number two. Like, the main desire, I believe, and I think we all are on the same page here, are the Montreal Canadiens. But there's some other teams that I've that, that I've wondered about as well. I mentioned on the radio show on Thursday, uh, I wonder about the New York Rangers with Pierre-Luc Dubois. I wonder about the Minnesota Wild with Pierre-Luc Dubois. 
And there's a couple of other teams as well. Like I, I wonder about Tampa with Pierre-Luc Dubois. I wonder about Dallas with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Well, and now you're I, going to like half the league. No, hang on. I got one more. And considering, you know, what just happened to them in the playoffs, maybe this does fit a need. I wonder about Carolina. Those are the teams that I wonder about. Like people have tied Carolina to Debrinkit, right? Yep. It would be like Carolina to do Debrinkit for a year or Dubois for a year, but it would not be like them to sign him to a long-term contract. So if you're going to tell me that some team's going to do it for a year, that's right up Carolina's alley. I'll throw one other team out there for you that someone said to me tonight. How long do you think Anja Kopitar wants to play? I don't know. LA's kind of close, man. <laughs> I know, but the contract is expiring. I do get that. But listen, it's not as if he can't play. He's coming off another good year. Exactly. He's coming off another good year, Elliot. Someone just threw LA out there for me. But it depends on Kopitar. It, it really does. He's got next year, and then he's a UFA. But he does look to me and seem to me to be one of those guys who spends his entire career at the Los Angeles Kings. Yes. But again, Jeff, you have to convince me that there's someone really other than Montreal because it goes against everything we've heard for a long time. And that's why I said there's not even a number two. It goes from number one, it jumps to number three. You know how like in hotels, there's no 13th floor. It goes from 12 to 14. Uh, That's kind of like what it's like here with Dubois and Montreal and the rest. It goes from one to three. There's not even a number two. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of more things here. Um, Some interesting news coming out of the New York Islanders. And that is uh, a former employee of uh, of the NHL, someone that we look at and we say, you know, this is one of the driving forces behind the Winter Classic and the Stadium Series. And I think we can throw safely the World Cup of Hockey into that mix as well. Uh, very forward-thinking, visionary, creative person. And that is John Collins, who joins the New York Islanders uh, as an investor, as an, uh, uh, as an operating partner. Uh, and I'll handle uh, business operations for the Islanders. You talked about this or sort of wondered about this a couple of weeks ago, and now it's come to fruition. What gives John Collins, New York Islanders? I thought it's interesting that he's going to have an ownership piece of the Islanders. I thought that was kind of fascinating. John Collins, like you said everything about him. Glenn Healy uh, negotiated with things when when he was working at the Players Association. And Glenn always spoke really highly of John and his vision and the things he thought about and tried to do. It didn't always go smoothly with him in the NHL. I think like sometimes him and Batman butted heads on things. And to be honest, I wish everybody there had found a way because uh, like, I think that should be okay. Like, you know, Jeff, people might find this hard to believe, but you and me and Amal don't always agree with everything on this pod. But we find a way to make it work. I think you you should have differing ideas. And, you know, it just didn't unfortunately work. And I, and I know Collins got frustrated. But I think he's got very good ideas. I don't think this is going to affect the hockey operations of the team. Mm-hmm. You know, John Collins is not going to tell Lou Lamorello to run the hockey team. Um, but you're going to see the Allies as an organization 
try some new things because that's what Collins likes to do. Do you see, though, a potential clash on the horizon here? Like, as much as they want to keep both Lou Lamarillo and John Collins uh, both, you know, happy, but also at the same time allow them to do what they do, John Collins is very much the uh, the forward thinker, the trying new things yeah. type executive. And Lou, La- Lou Lamarillo, as I, as I mentioned to you earlier on radio on Thursday, is not from the old school, but he's from the school they burned down to build the old school, Elliot. Is there a potential clash on the horizon here? Look, we, we know this. What does Lamorello hate? Marketing individual players. So I guess we'll find out our answer, Jeff, if John Collins tries to market an individual player. One more thing here before we get to the uh, the interviews on the podcast this week. And uh, today you'll hear from both Brandon Montour of the Florida Panthers and Mark Stone of the Vegas Golden Knights. That's coming up here in a moment. Something showed up in the National Post, uh, a piece by Christopher Nardi. Yes. Um, about the CRA, uh, Canadian Revenue Agency, going after athletes, most notably some very notable former Toronto Blue Jays, uh, Russell Martin, Jose Bautista as well. This is in the uh, retirement compensation agreement space, not necessarily the uh, the RCA, but the level of compensation being the issue. This could have some dire consequences for Canadian NHL teams. Your thoughts on this one, Elliot? Well, when I sent this to someone today, their reaction to me was, are you trying to ruin my life? Like that's what <laughs> someone in the league said to me. Yeah. Another person I thought had a really good take on it because he's dealt with this thing for a long time. But basically what he said is that for Canada Revenue to take that task, mm-hmm. what they think is that they think the salaries in sports have gotten so high that they don't think players should be able to hide this much money. I don't even know if hide is, is the right word. Like, to put away this kind uh, of money. He said that when this first started and teams started first using it, there were players putting like $2 million in there. He said Canada Revenue was willing to deal with that and you could put that kind of money away and they weren't going to have a problem with it. But now they're making so much money, Canada Revenue is like, nope, we want our piece of this. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where this is going to go. Like, I don't know enough about whether or not they're going to win this case or not. But the fact now that this is even a question, it's an aggravation that Canadian teams don't need. Because now, like, when, like, Huberto was one of the guys, like, he got traded to Calgary last year. He signed that big deal. His agent, Alan Walsh, is someone who really talks about this a lot. You can get around the problem with this. If there's even a question that you can't do this now, Mm-hmm. It's a major, major headache for the Canadian teams. It's major. Like, it's just another thing that you have to deal with that you don't want to deal with. It's a baseball tax story, but if you're a Canadian hockey fan, you might want to pay attention to what happens here. Before we wrap this up, the news part of this, I wanted to thank our great producer, Kathy Broderick, because when we left the rink tonight, I was going to go by myself in an Uber because I didn't want to subject the rest of the crew to listening to me babble on the podcast and they couldn't (laughs) talk in their cars. Yes. And plus they have to listen to me, which is a fate even worse than not talking. But Kathy Broderick, uh, she offered to drive me by herself. So she had to listen to me the whole ride back talk. 
And for that, she is deserving of the Congressional Medal of Honor. And a thank you on this podcast. <laughs> Kathy's told me numerous. First of all, this is a great sacrifice by Kathy Elliott, just so you know. Uh, she's told me numerous times uh, she only likes the part of the podcast where I'm talking. So she had to listen to the bad part of the podcast. Didn't even get to hear my parts uh, on the way to the hotel. So quick break when we come back. Mark Stone, Brandon Montour, 32 Thoughts the Podcast continues. My name is Jay, and this message is for Elliot. I am a new fan of 32 Thoughts, and I'm a new fan of Seinfeld. And I'm just letting you know that I love the Seinfeld references that Elliot uses, and it puts me in a good mood. So keep it up. Thanks. Okay, Elliot, let's hear from our two guests this week. Now, both of these interviews were recorded last Friday in Vegas at NHL Stanley Cup Media Day. You will hear from Mark Stone, the uh, the leader of the Vegas Golden Knights, one of the best two-way players in the game, bar none, full stop, period. But first, let's hear from Brandon Montour. And not only was this interview recorded pre-game one, it was also recorded pre-fatherhood. Congrats to Brandon, his wife, and their new son. Here's Brandon Montour of the Florida Panthers. Here on the near boards, it's Kachuk. Backhand Montour, some room, a shot. He scores! Top shelf, Brandon Montour from the top of the left circle and the Panthers strike first. Four minutes, eight seconds into the action. Brandon Montour... Brandon, thanks so much for doing this today. Um, And best of luck in the Stanley Cup final. Thank you. You know, a lot of players get to this spot and they've been on a couple of teams previous not everyone is drafted and developed and plays on the team and then makes it the stanley cup final you've been on a yeah. couple of different teams in the nhl in the back of your mind is this vindication is this i'll show you you quit on me and here i am in the stanley cup final what does it feel to be you right now to be honest i don't even think that way i think it's obviously you know once you're you know you either traded or things of that nature you don't you don't prove the team wrong and and things like that, but you know, whatever team you know I was on, I think I just was kind of trying to prove them right for you know picking me or being interested or trading. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing. Obviously, Florida picks me up, Billy picks me up, and you know, there's nothing else that I want to do than you know prove him right and and make them you know think that that obviously was the right decision. People talk about you much differently right now, <laughs> like seventy point season, phenomenal playoffs just all the great things you've done do you feel any differently do you do you is your confidence any greater no and i've I've told a lot of people obviously this is a year that you could say breakthrough or i take each summer the same mentally physically you know i try to train and and enjoy trying to get better and but obviously the opportunity and um playing a bigger role i think that came from right from the start and good conversation with mo and the rest of the staff you know you just get that excitement and you know, situation that I'm in now and going into this year, I just kind of wanted to stick with what I was doing, right? And um, trust myself and my confidence and kind of just run with what they gave me. And like I said, once you have trust in your coaches and uh, you have trust in your teammates, you know, that's all you want as an athlete. And, you know, I just wanted to prove everyone that, you know, I was capable of doing that. Dallas Higgins always talked about you physically, that you are a competitive guy physically. Where do you, where are you on the fitness scores? Are you one? Uh, you'd have to look at it, but Forsling won our, uh, we got a couple of 
pretty legit big guys. legit guys where you know obviously i take pride in that and he's another guy like i I'm, i don't mind having a cookie or two you know um <laughs> this guy's strictly staying away from that so really he doesn't touch um, anything? you know he might beat me by a little bit mm-hmm. and i think that might be the factor but um <laughs> you know it's, it's obviously started at a young age but um i obviously i had dally early on mm-hmm. and um we'd have a lot of uh you know sessions or bike sessions you know we wouldn't skate and he'd do the bikes and he'd split the groups and you see your coach on the bike every single group session doing the, like for probably I wouldn't even know hour or two straight while guys came in and he'd, he'd ride the whole time and you know he's you see stuff like that and that's something I remember from Dally is I just wanted to kind of either beat him or um, try to stay on the bike as long as he could, could and I know I know he enjoyed you know what? I don't know. He, he, this guy can, he, he's, he's a freak in that nature too. <laughs> yes. So ever since I've known him, he's enjoyed fitness as well. And you know, it's something that I, I take pride in as well. Mm-hmm. That Forsling answer is great. I've never heard he beat me by a cookie before, <laughs> but I, I'm going to, dude, I'm going to remember exactly that one that. for a long, it is, long it is. time. He, he's, uh, you know, he's ripped and he takes his training, you know, pretty serious as well. Hmm. I'm curious how your game and your mind has developed. Cause I can remember calling San Diego, just doing the check-ins. Hey, how's everyone? You know, who should we be watching for? And the conversation would always turn to you and it'd be, he's our best defenseman. He's all over the ice. <laughs> he joins every rush, but he's such a great skater. He's the first guy back. So I guess it's okay. We don't know where he's going to end up. We don't know what kind of defenseman he's going to end up being. And here he ends up as a uh, defenseman who's going to compete for the Stanley Cup. Going back to San Diego to now, how is your game different? You know, obviously you take the strengths. I think you still see I, I like to, to roam a little bit free. And I think that's a strength of mine. And just kind of trying to read plays, pick plays where I see. And I try to use my skating to a strength of mine. But Paul, especially, you know, the patience is a huge thing. And little things like... You know, I try to skate, you know, and make plays and be all over the ice, but, you know, stopping here and there where I'm kind of gliding and kind of out of position, but I still kind of make up mm-hmm. just kind of that energy and keeping that energy is a, is a huge thing. And another thing, I don't know if that's just this year and playing more, but I'm trying to make the perfect plays or, or a great play every shift. You know, it's obviously not going to happen every shift and the league's so good. Everyone, you guys know that. And But being patient, um, trusting my game and trusting, you know, the spots and, trusting my teammates that they're going to find me in open lanes or, or things like that. But, you know, Roman, I, I, I enjoy doing that. Obviously I pick my spots and be in the right areas and, you know, the right time of games, you know, so much that can go into that, but skating is a huge thing that, you know, I still like gaps and D zone and um, there's a lot of things that can go into it, but I thought, you know, skating and being in the right spots is something that um, mm-hmm. I've definitely, you know, improved does Paul or Sylvain, they have any rules for you? Like you, you can't do this or you can't do that or um, like, is there like, is there anything you're not allowed to do? <laughs> no, I mean, obviously maybe try to rush the puck, you know, and then, or, or things of that nature, but you know, they're good. Obviously they want me to play free. They see my strengths and see, you know, how well it, it either helps the team or helps myself play. And I think it's working. I think, like I said, being patient, they both taught me to be a bit more patient. Obviously sometimes I'm a little antsy or, um, maybe a, a couple of shifts, I'm a little quiet. I'm the next shift. I'm trying to, you know, get something going when it doesn't need to happen like that. So, and that goes with being out there more, um, being involved in the games, crucial times, you know, it, it all comes with confidence and believing myself that, you know, I'm capable of doing that. Last one for me, uh, Brandon, just in all of this great fun that you guys have had in the playoffs, what's the best behind the scenes moment for you? Uh, like something you saw or witnessed that you said, wow, like this is special 
you know, it, it, you could talk about the run, um, but it goes back from like, even just, you know, after the break when we started turning it on, it was, I think the, the thing that I think I'm thinking about is, you know, we we're having success and winning a bunch of games, but it was so still tight, you know, and all these other teams were winning and we only got in by a point, but like guys would look at their, you know, phones after and be like, oh, Pittsburgh won, you know, Buffalo, you know, like, oh, like we're still not in, you know, it's, it's one of those, but guys still enjoyed trying to, you know, that challenge, you know, that challenge is huge. And I think at one point we were 11, nine out. I don't know. You guys would know, but we just kept going, you know, game by game and, you know, big o- overtime wins and big comeback wins or whatever it may be. And, and now we're here, you know, and guys still are enjoying that challenge and, you know, trying to make that next big play. And, you know, that's why I think our, our group's so good. Do you remember watching or following or hearing about that Chicago Pittsburgh game that opened the door? I don't even know where we were, but yeah, it was, um, well, they lost twice. I don't know. I have to look, didn't they? Who the else did they lose? Columbus. Columbus. Columbus too. Yeah. But there was a game in Toronto. I think we needed, um, yep. I think. Right. And we, I think we lost overtime at home. And I remember guys are all mad in the locker room, but like even I spoke up and just said, Hey, like we needed that point. You know, that point, that one point is huge that we came back. They won, but like, and sure enough, we won by one. So, I mean, win or lose, you know, guys were giving it their all just to get that one point. And, um, luckily enough, we did that. It's awesome. Brandon, thanks so much. Best of luck in the final. Perfect. Good thanks, luck. Guys. Thanks, guys. Good luck. That's Brandon Montour of the Florida Panthers. Uh, from there, we go to the Vegas Golden Knights. And here is the leader, the captain, the man for the Vegas Golden Knights, Mark Stone on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. circle, Theodore, near the dot. Looking, looking. Passes left. Marcia so score! Mark Stone in front, got a piece, and the Knights have tied it. Power play goal for Vegas. Mark Stone with 3.57 to go in the first period. Marcia so not as hard of a shot as you normally see. Well placed, knowing that Mark Stone was in the crease and that he could do something with a puck in front. And that's exactly what happened. Mark Stone's eighth goal of the playoffs. And in terms of power play goals, he's got four to lead the Golden Knights in the postseason. Mark, I'm just going to be blunt. I just assume that you're always, there's always part of your body that is sore. That aches. That's part of being Mark Stone. On a scale of one to ten, heading into the Stanley Cup Final, how do you feel? Feel great. I think it's easier when the uh, end goal is in sight, right? So just got to put the body on the line to uh, to try and help your team win more series, uh, win one more series. And I don't think anybody would say that they're a ten right now. Yep. Uh, I feel as good as I, I I could have expected. I've learned over the years never to guess because you felt that some of us have guessed, and I don't guess anymore. But this year. How serious was it and how worried were you? Um, pretty similar, honestly. Um, I had the same, exact same injury, but I knew that if I did the same thing, it would probably happen again. So I uh, got a different surgery. Um, obviously worried, but not never thought of retirement or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Knew, I'd, knew I'd always be uh, coming back. Didn't know if it would be this season or next, but spoke to a lot of different people. Found the surgeon that uh, I was most comfortable with and um Really happy with the decision I made. I'm just curious. Anyone interesting you spoke to? I always wonder about this because I've heard over the years people reach out to some pretty interesting individuals. So I was wondering if you spoke to anyone in particular. Honestly, the Jack situation helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the success that he's had with the surgeon, with our our surgeon, I can say now. Mm-hmm. Um, just seeing the success that he's had uh, with the, you know, being it was about around a year, you know, since he had had his. Uh, seeing that the you know, how well he felt, uh, the level he was playing at. That's uh, kind of one of the main reasons why I made the decision to use uh, uh, Dr. Pressmack. Mm. 
You know, in the uh, in the Edmonton series, certainly in the Dallas series as well, it seemed as if you know the game plan from those teams was to go hard at you. Did it feel that way? Because it certainly looked that way. I mean, you, you saw <laughs> a lot would happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Outside of the bandits, yeah. Which um, to too. But if it's a just, I think it can almost be a distraction, right? Like I feel good out there, I feel comfortable. So um, if I take shots that you know that are put us on a power play. I guess I can use the Ben as an example. I kind of ended, almost kind of ended the series, right? Um, so no, I feel great. You know, in the uh, in the 2007 Stanley Cup Final, Daniel Alfredson in frustration took a slap shot at Scott Niedermeyer, and Scott Niedermeyer in the intermission told the guys on the Anaheim Ducks, "Guys, don't react. We have them right where we want them." Did you feel the same way after the Ben incident? I don't know. I mean, it's different. I think it's like right in the middle of the game, right? That was the start of the game. I think the other one was at the end, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a little different. But I think you, especially as a captain, leader of the team, if you react poorly, you know, show too much emotion, then everybody gets going. And you can kind of see that in their game, right? Dallas, they start taking penalties. They're usually a very disciplined team. And then I look at game four and five, maybe I did get a little bit frustrated. And, you know, whether it was Domi, you know, jabbing, getting frustrated with him or getting frustrated with other players. Um, if you can keep that calm composure, it just kind of feeds uh, throughout the lineup. And I told myself going into game six, not going to react to anything. And, Boys played pretty good. Were you ever worried that that Dallas series was going to get away from you guys? I mean, it's hard not to think that, you know, you could lose, right? But you could lose any series. But I was pretty confident, still pretty confident that there wasn't going to be two. I don't know if there's a team on this planet that can, you know, knock on wood, right? Mm-hmm. Can beat us four straight. Um, so when I was pretty happy with the way, with the situation that we were in, right? Um, they still had to beat us two more times. And I thought that was going to be hard for them to do. You know, you've played three different teams, obviously, to get here. Teams have played a different style. What is unique about playing the Panthers from what you've seen? Probably the aggression. Um, I don't mean just physicality. Yeah, they've got some physical players, but they are aggressive all over the ice. Uh, Forecheck is aggressive. Their D are aggressive pinching. They jump into the rush. You know, they try to kill plays in the D zone. Just a lot of aggression from them. So we're going to have to have good execution if if we want to be able to uh, hang on to pucks here. Would you ever call your brother and ask him for a Matthew Kachuk scouting report? How can we uh, undo this guy? I've watched enough, right? Uh, I think I know. Um, like I said to other people, like you're not going to completely take him out of the series. Um, mm-hmm. You just try to limit him. If you try to take those kind of guys out of the series, that's when they have all the success. When you're focusing, just trying to shut them down, um, you just got to try and limit them. Uh, don't get frustrated with them. What's it like to be here? Yeah, it's been a wild ride. You know, we've, won, we've had a lot of success here in Vegas. Uh you know, even since I've gotten here, obviously they had great success the first year. Won a lot of playoff series, but this is the most important one, right? This is the one we want to win. So obviously you got the those kind of those good nerves, right? The little tingle in your stomach, the, the excite, exciting nerves. So, you know, we talked to Bruce Cassidy and uh, and asked him, you know, which areas of the ice will be most important. We focused on the zones, and he said, of course, the neutral zone is always crucial. But he talked about the slot a lot. He talked about the battles in both slots. Which areas of the ice in this series against the Panthers do you think will be the most important? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think he's he's bang on with that. And they got some guys that are real good around the net. Uh, they go there uh, and they're not afraid to go there. But we're pretty comfortable with the big D-man that we have uh, and our big goalie, the way that we're playing to keep him out of there. Uh, but this, That being said, they got some big D-man that don't like uh, us getting there. So it's going to be a battle. But yeah, I mean, they're playing great. They're playing the best hockey of their season. Um, nobody said that they were going to be here, and they've really all just jumped on board and played the best hockey of their season. So we got to be ready. 
Here's my last question, completely irrelevant to the Stanley Cup final. When does Michael sign with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Uh, 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 I don't think that's coming. Uh, you don't? I don't think He's so. He's not following Brad for a living? Uh, I don't know him and Brad have had some good relationships and bad, bad relationships in the past, but um, I don't think he'll be going to Toronto. He's not retiring or anything like that. No, but I don't think he'll be going to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, best of luck against the Panthers. Thanks so much for doing this. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Elliot, taking us out today is a folk artist from Prince Edward County who we featured on the podcast in season four. David James Allen is back with his fourth record, By the Summertime. This album showcases David's ability to control tempo while taking us on a lyrical journey. With the title track, By the Summertime, here's David James Allen on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. By the summertime Summertime 